This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Jacqueline Charles is a reporter at the Miami Herald. She's also Haitian American. And she says as migrants from back home started massing at the Texas border last week, her phone, it just kept pinging. You know, remember that game of telephone when you were younger? I got home last night and, you know, I'm hearing from people who, you know, like they know a friend or know somebody who made it to Mexico or made it, you know, there. The, the, the Haiti, Haiti is a country of 11.5 million people, but honestly, it's small. The town where so many refugees are gathering is known as Del Rio. There's a bridge there though a lot of migrants have been crossing to the U.S. by simply wading over a dam. Somewhere, word started to circulate that, hey, that port of entry is open. And so people converge. They're going to take their chance because people are desperate. I, I think desperation drives people to the point of, what do I have to lose? Jacqueline had spent the summer covering crisis after crisis in Haiti. The assassination of the president a devastating earthquake. But she'd been anticipating this migration situation from before all that. In February, I received a phone call from a Haitian pastor at another Texas town talking about, you know, receiving thousands of Haitians in his town and how he was overwhelmed. She made a note. Call Pastor Jidzi when you get back to the U.S., But before she had a chance to do that, the news hit. Thousands of Haitians have been processed in the border town of Del Rio, Texas, as deportation flights ramp up. Local officials tell us that one of the things that they're very concerned about is the public health issue. Just think about it. There are thousands of people in very close quarters living under a bridge. Now, I can't go there. So Jacqueline flew to Texas last week to try to tell the story. The frustration of being a reporter on this Del Rio story has been the fact that we have not had access to the migrants underneath that bridge. And so... What happens when you try? We're told no. I've asked and you're you're told no. Hmm. What's the reasoning given? There was no reason given. We were just told no. Today on the show, why a town in Texas has become the last hope for thousands of Haitian refugees, and how Jacqueline saw it coming. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
There are a few different images that have made it out of the makeshift camp where nearly 15,000 Haitian migrants have been living. There are drone shots. They show the sheer number of people crammed together, waiting to be processed. There are pictures of the Border Patrol response, men on horseback seeming to violently herd these desperate humans in some way. There are images, too, of long lines of people trying to wade into this country, one after another, balancing water bottles and takeout bags in their arms. But many journalists have been kept away from the camp itself, which means what's happening to these migrants is happening in a black box. So you have to understand the the the, the makeup of this camp. This this just it's a no man's land. So what does that mean? Meaning that it is so far away from the eyes to see. So if you're standing at the bridge, at the bottom of the bridge, you're looking through um, sort of a fence, but you cannot see anybody. You 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 don't see anything. All you see now are border patrol vehicles. So you cannot see the camp. Nobody has access to it. And in fact, when I, as a journalist, walked from the Mexico side to the U.S. side, we were met by border patrol agents, and we asked if we could go through there, and they said, "No, you can't. You you cannot go." Hmm. Over the last day or so, I think a lot of people have seen these images of Border Patrol agents on horseback, and some of them appear to have something like a whip in their hands, like they're kind of trying to move migrants. I'm wondering if you have any information on what is going on in those pictures. You know, we, the, the Department of Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who was in Del Rio yesterday, was actually asked about this. And so he says that they are going to do an investigation into it. I was horrified to see the images, and we look forward to learning the facts that are adduced from the investigation, and we will take actions that those facts compel. We do not tolerate any mistreatment or abuse of a migrant, period. That picture, that image, you know, when they say that a, a, a picture speaks a thousand words, I mean, it may be cliche-ish, but I think it's relevant in this in this point that for a lot of people, whether they're Haitian or whether they are Black, uh, it has triggered um, a lot in terms of that there's a lot of symbolism and not very good symbolism. I mean, listening to you talk about what's happening in Del Rio and how the camp is hidden from sight a little bit really got me thinking because I think seeing something means you can respond to it. But right now it doesn't seem, from the outside at least, that there is a lot of response. Like I was wondering, are Americans providing any provisions for the people who've crossed, like toilets or showers or food or medicine? I spoke to advocates who did get access, who got in. One of them said, I did see um, porta potties as far as my eyes could see. I've talked to people who have been inside and they said that food is being is being provided. Now, we've heard, you know, we heard reports that, you know, there wasn't food or that there wasn't water. There was concerns. Um, and I think that that's one of the problems. Like we need to have access to these to this camp so that we could fully understand um, how it is structured, uh, what's going on. So, for instance, on the Mexican side, I met a gentleman, Alex, who was inside and he left to come get food for his wife and child. And while he was out, 
in on the Mexican side, that's when he started to hear the quote unquote rumors that they were starting to deport Haitians. When I met Alex, he was at the dam on the Mexican side in Ciudad Acuña, and he was sitting on this concrete slope. And I started to talk to him and I said, what's going on? And he was explaining to me that he was inside waiting to be able to get a number to present himself and his family for the opportunity to see if he can come to the United States. But then he left to come get food. And as he heard, they started to deport people. And for him, who had left Haiti in 2013, he just could not go back to Haiti. Haiti was just not an option for him. He was telling me that he feared for his life if he were to return to Haiti. And so he was sitting there contemplating whether or not to rejoin his wife and child or whether to stay in Mexico. It's a heart-wrenching decision. And I said, you're willing to let your wife and child take that risk of deportation and you not join them? And he says, yeah, but if they get deported, they would have a better chance at living than I would. And so I've thought a lot about this guy and I hope to call him and see ultimately, you know, what was the decision that he made? Because the way he framed it, it was between his life and it was between his family. This man Jacqueline met, his story is not unusual. Lots of people are facing impossible choices. But there's something else a lot of these migrants share. They haven't been in Haiti for years. Many of them left way back in 2010 after that earthquake hit Port-au-Prince. They resettled in Brazil and then Chile. When jobs and money ran out, they moved again, many traveling by bus or even by foot to Mexico. In other words, these folks have been on the move for a solid decade. So how did so many of these migrants suddenly decide now is the time to begin to cross into the U.S.? I think that, again, word of mouth that, oh, this port is, 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 is open. Had Mexico become untenable? And Well, Mexico was difficult. So for a lot of the Haitians who have arrived or newly arrived, uh, they were not being given papers to be legal in Mexico. Uh, So finding work was difficult. Finding a place to live is difficult. So Mexico has been a very difficult place um, for, for, for these Haitians. And so that desperation on top of everything. And, and when they left Chile and Brazil, they spent a lot of money. I mean, people have spent thousands of dollars uh, to get through, you know, 11, 12 countries in the region in order to to get to Mexico. So imagine being in Mexico, not having any money, not having any prospects for work, not having a place to 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 stay. Um, what do you do next? Do you go back through that journey that you just did where probably somebody in your family died or somebody in your group died? Or do you try to make a run for the U.S. if you hear that this border is open? So people heard the border was open and that is why they ended up under Underneath this international bridge in Del Rio. And now that they're here in the U.S., a lot of migrants are surprised that the Border Patrol is jailing and then swiftly deporting them. Just a few months back, the Biden administration extended temporary protected status to Haitians, allowing them to stay in the U.S. if they were already here. But it's different for migrants arriving now because of something called Title 42. That's a Trump-era provision renewed by the Biden administration 
that allows the U.S. government to deport migrants to reduce the spread of COVID. The problem and the controversy around Title 42 is that today, migrants who are in need of protection do not have the opportunity to present their case before U.S. authorities. Because they can't apply for asylum? Exactly. That I cannot, that, that I have a fear for my life or this is a situation and that they're not, and that Title 42 is basically allowing the U.S. to sort of do quote unquote wholesale deportations without giving people an opportunity, whether they're from Haiti or elsewhere, to present their case for asylum. What happens if they try? Well, you're seeing this what happened in Del Rio, that you're basically crossing illegally into the United States. More with Jacqueline Charles after the break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're hearing about flights beginning, the U.S. beginning to repatriate some of these migrants who crossed in Del Rio, sending them back to Haiti. Can you describe what that's like? I mean, you've laid out how a lot of these folks have not been in Haiti for years. And so all of a sudden they try to cross into the U.S., boom, you're on a plane and you're back at square one. (laughs) Exactly. You're back at square one and you are most likely worse off than when you left, whether it was, you know, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, That's the reality. Uh, You know, I saw something um, by a colleague where there were some people who had arrived from Del Rio and they didn't know how to get their way out of the airport. Like it was all foreign to them. You now have children who don't speak Creole or French, but they speak Spanish and Portuguese. Hmm. Uh, For a lot of these people, where do you begin? If you sold everything you own to go to South America, and then you sold everything you own to go to Mexico and to take this gamble to try to come into the United States, and now you have been sent back to the very country that you left from, What do you do? 
There are no jobs. There, there are some that will return back to South America because they have legal residency in those countries. So, and they did not throw away their documents and they have valid passports. So they'll be okay. They get to start over. But in Haiti, where there really isn't a prospect of work, where even humanitarian aid groups have acknowledged that it's been difficult to get humanitarian um, you know, resources assistance through the southern region because the southern entrance of the capital is still controlled by gangs and streets are still blocked by gangs. Um, what do you do? Even the, even the countryside, which has the reputation of being safer than the capital, is not an option for some of these people because they can't go you know, on the road. They can't cross in a bus where they're too fearful to do it, that they may either be shot dead or kidnapped. And we should say that Haiti's own migration office has basically begged the U.S. government to stop deporting people to the country because they're going through such a difficult period after the unrest this summer and, and the earthquake. Yes, the, the the director general of the Office of National Migration, when I spoke to him, the Miami Herald, he basically pleaded that they need to have a moratorium, a humanitarian moratorium, because 14,000 people returned to this country after an earthquake, after the assassination of the president, amid the ongoing insecurity, the, the volatile politics and everything. It's just too much. Have you been able to speak to any of these migrants directly yet, the folks who are coming back after all of this? Yes, we have. We've talked to people who have been returned back. They are angry. Uh, they still don't understand, you know, what happened. They were still under the impression that the border was open. The U.S. border was open. Um, they are shocked by the detention, uh, you know, that they were in prison, that they were jailed. I mean, one gentleman talked about, you know, he spent six days without taking a shower and without brushing his teeth. Um, it's not the welcome that they expected. Like a lot of American immigration stories, what's happening in Del Rio has become like this political football. You've got Republican politicians like Ted Cruz blaming President Biden for what's happening there. It is a mass of people infants, young children. It is overwhelming the Border Patrol. And, and the reason is simple. The word went out that if you came to Del Rio, the Biden administration wouldn't deport you. You could stay. And I am hopeful this week they will reverse that policy. There's some indication uh, that they will. Uh, but I, I just wonder broadly, if you think that's a fair criticism, like how you think about the blame for what went wrong here? Because I don't think there's any doubt that something went very wrong. I think that Del Rio requires sort of a larger introspection in terms of U.S. immigration policy and the asylum system, which the U.S. Um, under Biden and also Trump, you know, have been criticized for. Yes, it happens to be Haitians, but it could have been anybody. I mean, the borders of the United States are constantly... We, we, we've seen now the crisis shift from a Central American crisis, where it was mostly Central Americans that were showing up at the border, to today it happens to be Haitian. Tomorrow it may be another group. Uh, I think that it speaks to the larger debate that needs to happen in this country in terms of what should immigration reform look like? What, you know, 
should asylum, the asylum process look like? Um, should we go back to something prior to, you know, recent policies um, in terms of how do you process or give people a chance to pose your claim for asylum? To me, I look at what's happening right now at Del Rio and I think about Kamala Harris and the fact that she went on this tour, not to Haiti, but to South America a few months back. And her message when she landed at any in any country was don't come. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. And I look at what's happening in Texas and I think this is the limit of that message. Like this is the <laughs> the problem with saying to people just don't come is that may discourage some folks, but it will by no means discourage everyone. And these surges will just keep happening. There's a limit to just saying no. I I said to someone, it would be very interesting to see how much money the U.S. government has spent in these countries um, to address issues of migration and how is that message being, being framed. The fact that these people... Most Americans don't understand immigration policy, right? They don't understand how immigration works. They don't understand how is it that somebody could be in this country 30 years and still be undocumented. Why are they not a U.S. citizen? They don't know that there's a process. They don't know that there's a green card. But if you're trying to discourage migrants from risking their lives or coming to their borders, to our borders, and where they're going to be, you know, sent back, I almost feel like you have to do a better job at just say, don't come. You sort of have to explain to people that if you do this, <laughs> this will happen. So that when people understand, they said, hey, I took my chances knowing that I could get deported because I knew that what I was doing was wrong. Not because I crossed this border. They said it was open. So I don't understand why I got sent back. Well, the problem is we've created a system where you have to work the angles. And so maybe you could get through if you say it the right way or go through one place instead of another place, the rules aren't clear. And but you get through, but you're eventually sent back. So that's the thing. The people who lose their claims, their asylum claims, unfortunately, the people who are paroled in and have to now go through the process, they sort of get lost. So two years, three years down the line, when they lose their claim and they go to DH to immigration to present themselves and they get arrested and they get put on a deportation flight, we never see uh, those people again. We in media, too, we're not necessarily covering those stories unless there's something dramatic. So people don't see that end, you know, so for some of these people who may be paroled in, they may think like, oh, I've, I've, I've hit a home run. And it's no, you haven't hit a home run. Because unless, you know, the, the, the immigration system in the U.S. is not based on, you know, you have an economic claim to wanting to be in the U.S. It is that, you know, do you have credible fear? And is there a political claim? While clearer messaging could help in the future, right now, Jacqueline is thinking a lot about the thousands of Haitians who are about to find themselves dropped back into a country that they may not have set foot in for years, a country that simply might not have the resources to provide for them. One of the questions that I raised with DHS Secretary Mayorkas and one of the press conferences that they had with Haitian media was that, look, you know, 
a few years back, more than 10 years back, the U.S. government used to actually provide Haiti with financial assistance to help with the repatriation of Haitians. Because while we're focusing on Title 42 and we're focusing on this, the reality is, is that there have been thousands of Haitians prior to this who have been deported, either because of um, exhausting all of their immigration remedies or because of... Um, you know, criminal records in the U.S., whatever, deportations to Haiti did not stop. Um, and so you clearly recognize that this is a country where the conditions are not safe for people to return. So you gave TPS. So does this mean that you believe that this country, this cash-strapped government, um, is in a position that it can help with the repatriations or resettling of thousands of people? Um, and so one of the things that we are now told by them is that they are talking to the Haitian government officials and that that is being addressed. So I'm waiting to see what that funding is going to look like, if it is going to come through, what kind of assistance is going to be given to Haiti to help them, you know, resettle these people. Um, because this is this is a huge burden on, you know, on a country that's already, you know, troubled and already, you know, have problems. But, you know, what are the re- causes of migration and and you know whether these people left Haiti yesterday or they left 10 years ago the reality is is that they left and the other reality is is that they were not trying to go back Jacqueline Charles thank you so much for putting all this in context for us thanks for having me Jacqueline Charles is the Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald Before we get out of here, I have a little assignment for you, if you're up for it. We're working on a show for a bit later this month about how COVID has led to tough decisions for doctors and nurses who are having to ration health care. And we want to hear from you. Have you experienced these kinds of decisions firsthand? How'd you handle it? What do you wish could have gone differently? Give us a call. Let us know. You can leave a voicemail at 202-888-2588. You can also shoot us a voice memo by emailing us at whatnextatslate.com. All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Davis Land, Carmel Del Shad, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery give us a hand each and every day. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go find me on Twitter and tell me what you really thought of the show. I'm at Mary's desk. Meanwhile, I'll catch you back in this feed tomorrow. <laughs> 